0: Hi guys, and welcome back to the Oral Histories podcast, and in particular the St John Moore School, which is open this weekend as part of the National Heritage Open Day Scheme. (laughs) Appleby Magna is a small village in Leicestershire with a population of a little over 1,000 people. On its western edge is the village school, based in a very impressive Grade 1 listed building, built in 1697 from plans originally drawn up by Sir Christopher Wren. During the course of the weekend we were able to record some of the memories from villagers, both past and present. These include interviews with Albert Noble, Jock Smith, Gordon Smith and Stephen Guest. We begin with an interview with Albert Noble who moved to the village in 1975 with his wife Joan.
1: Albert Noble, and I met Joan, my wife, uh, in London at the Victor Sylvester Dance Studio, and we got married in '64, and we bought a house in Appleby in botts Lane in '75, and moved here in '83. When I bought the house in botts Lane, um, which was built in 1900, there was no bathroom, and what people did in those days is they had a bath put in the kitchen and covered over with a board so it formed a large table. And it was quite a thing to have a bath uh, in the kitchen. That that's, that was the first sort of bathroom that people had. It was in the kitchen. I mean, nowadays people wouldn't, would think that was potty, but in those days it made sense. Joan's grandparents used to be boot and shoe makers, and they lived in Rose Cottage, Appleby Parva. So all during the holidays, the school holidays, Joan came up from London to stay with them. which is and, um, and her mother put her on the guards van in London at Euston, and the guard used to look after her as a little girl. Like, you wouldn't do that nowadays. And she came all the way up to Leicester, and her aunt picked her up, and they came by bus and train back to Appleby. Joan befriended a farmer, Mr. Clamp, who lived at Red Hill Farm, and in those days, the milk was delivered by a cart in big urns, big churns, and Joan befriended the farmer, and this farmer used to go round with Joan when she was here on holiday, delivering the milk, and that's how Joan got to know all the old villagers at that time, and we're talking now what, um, about just before the war, probably early 30s, mid 30s. So she got to know all the old people of the village as Mr. Clamp delivered the milk. And he was a bit of a gossip, so he, he was always invited in the house uh, for a little chat and, and Joan went with him. And one day, Mr. Clamp the farmer met another farmer who was riding a large shire horse. And Joan looked at this little sh- this shire horse and said, oh, I wish I had a big horse like that. And the farmer said, would you like to buy him for sixpence? And Joan says, oh, yes, please. And she-, she gave the farmer the sixpence and the farmer lifted her up and put her-, put her on the back of this great big shire horse and led it along the road towards Appleby Parva and Rose Cottage where Joan was staying. But as she got near to the cottage, Joan said to the farmer, well, I don't know whether my aunt would like me having this great big horse because we haven't got anywhere to keep it. Not thinking, of course, that she really lived in London anyway. So the farmer said, well, would you like to have the sixpence back? And Joan says, oh, yes, please. So the farmer gave Joan the sixpence, took her off the horse, and Joan went back to Rose Cottage without the horse. Now that was one of many stories that Joan told me over the years
0: and we will return to more of Albert's tales later in the podcast Stephen Guest was a pupil at St John Moore's in the 1980s I interviewed Stephen on the playing field in front of the school where he had taken advantage of the heritage open day to see how his old school had changed
2: I came here in I think it was 1980 till 1986 my um, earliest memory uh, on joining the school was Jack Smith who was the headmaster at the time and he did some campanology um, handheld bells i remember doing that and it must have been his last year in charge here um, then chris wood took over as headmaster and he was headmaster the entire time i was here um The other teachers would have been Mr. Davis, who was in the mobile classroom at the back, which is now gone. And Mrs. Finch, who had the first year students, kids, uh, who had the classroom at the back, which I've just stuck my head through the window and had a look at, and all the classrooms changed. Because the, the loos used to be at the bottom of the stairs on the left, and then you went forward through the door that's covered by the bookcase now to go into that classroom. So I remember being there, I remember the sandpit and all sorts in there. The lessons were kind of all mixed up really. It wasn't like a secondary school where you have maths, English, and I suppose PE. It was all, because you were in the same classroom, everything was kind of mixed in together. PE was probably my favorite thing when we came out here on this field that we're sat at now. And we had football pitches on that side Uh, nearest the tradesman's entrance or um, local kids entrance, which was all overgrown at the time and the gate was rotten and seized shut, which was great fun for us because we went through a hole which used to be in the wall behind the canteen, or the new canteen It was only very small, just small enough or just big enough for a, a kid to crawl through, so we did I never got caught in there but I did get caught in the cellars in the bottom of the school the one at this end, under the the headmaster's extension was pretty much empty. Uh, I can see now that they've filled the windows in. The wooden shutters were still there that I can see now. The glass windows that are now there, there was, they were open and that's how we got in. And the other end of the building, same again, the wooden shutters are still there and one, but the other windows have been boarded up. They were open when I was here and that was a coal dump for the boilers that were in there. So we used to go in there and get dirty. And then if the dinner ladies caught us in there, then we got told off, which happened quite often. The buildings behind us, which are now the Heritage Centre, has all been significantly restored since my time. Because when I was here, that was derelict. It was full of brambles inside. You couldn't even get in it, although we did try. Um, This flat on the end, which is... I think the headmaster's extension that was rented out privately to somebody when I was here as well so we never actually saw the staircase at this end that I've just been up to the heritage that's the first time I've ever seen that we used to have to go up the stairs at the back which are very steep and very worn because the stationery cupboard was in the first round window on the right as you look at the front of the building and that's where we kept all the pens and paper and everything. Every now and again, we got to go up there. And when we went up there, we had to nosy around everything else because we could. It was good fun here. because there wasn't many of us. I think somebody asked me earlier from the heritage. I think there was only about 60 kids in this school at the time. So it must have been right really at one of its lowest points. Mm. Half the school building wasn't used. I always remember the classroom on the ground floor nearest the canteen end be in a classroom, but never used. I think we used it was used once, as I remember. Mm. In the summer, we got to come out the front a lot, because this was all grass, the car park behind us didn't exist. It, these were all lawns, um, and they grew a lot of daisies. I remember the girls here making daisy chains that went the entire length of the field and back again. The main sports we played um, was probably split between rounders and football. Very occasionally we played cricket. Um, the cricket pitch used to be on that side, the canteen side, where the football pitches were. This side, that we're sat on now, was only ever used, as I remember, for sports day and the the running track was marked up and down. So you do your 100 metres your, or whatever meterage it was. Mm. Your egg and spoon race, your sack race, that was always done on this side. But sports were always done on the other side. Mm. So, yeah, rounders was always good fun.
0: Another person who remembers playing sport at St John's is Gordon Smith. However, he played in a totally different league.
3: One of my friends, uh, Stephen Gray's name is, his sister went out with a footballer. His name was Rodney Fern. Rodney Ferns now passed away unfortunately. But his wife too lived just in the village with the rest of the family. And Rodney played for Letter City. He was quite a good player. Never made England, but he wasn't far off. At the same time they had a player called David Nish, who was England International. Well, Rodney bought his friends because Leicester's training facilities in those days were a bit mediocre. So on the I think it was I forget what night it was, one night in the week, they had a badminton class in The school all, the grammar school all, and Rodney brought some of the players over. The players such as David Nish, who was an international, England, Peter Rodrigues, Wales International, John Schoberg, not an international but very well respected, and the Leicester City players used to come. The early club consisted of us younger people, we'd play, but then we knew these guys were coming and we were in awe of them and they were really brilliant. They couldn't do it nowadays, but they took us under the wing, they showed us how to play badminton.
0: Although there are none today, Appleby Magna once had many shops, and these hold fond memories as well. Gordon Smith again.
3: Basically, we had the co-op, which is now a private house, that's on Church Street. We also had the Crown, we used to have like, um, I suppose, an off-licence I suppose you see. The Crown's changed a lot, but when you worked in the first door, that was like a little lobby. And they'd sell crisps and that, and it was only odd days during the week. We also had the post office, which was down where it is now, not a post office anymore, near the moat house. But they had smaller shops around the village, which really weren't shops. We had one, I forget the name of them, but it was up on Top Street. And this sold various things, paraffin and petrol, not petrol, but paraffin, <laughs> but they sold sweets. As you carried on down from Top Street, going down towards Duck Lake, if we'd know where that was. The gentleman down there, he was a little chap, and he used to make things for the children, like little wooden toys and all that, but he started selling odd sweets and chocolate and things like that. Stephen
2: Guest. Two shops in the village. One was the post office, which had a small shop. Um, I vaguely remember the bloke who owned it must have been in the late 70s and then I remember the Bavingtons taking over it and I know Alan personally they've held it until it's shut very recently the other shop was at the bottom of Bowley's Lane um, directly opposite which was a bigger shop but didn't really do that well it was owned by a few people Member remember a family coming from Polesworth to run it for a few years. Um, lots of canned stuff, uh, crisps, toys for kids. It was a real jumble of all sorts. Um, the shop opposite um, Bowley's Lane always did the papers until they shut. Then Alan Bavington took over and he expanded the shop slightly because it was the only remaining one until that shut. And uh, I th- that was came about as um, an argument, actually. Somebody came into the shop and was quite abusive to Alan's mother, which caused an argument. And I think Alan was getting to the point of thinking about retiring, so he just said, that's the last straw, shut it.
0: Stephen Guest there, remembering the demise of the shops in Appleby Magna. Jack Smith a resident in the village since 1969, wanted to remember the village parades that he and his lorries had once taken part in.
4: They had a parade, decorated lorries. A local firm, who I was a long-distance driver for, they supplied two, sometimes three, lorries. Another local film called Fawkes, they gave it. A local farmer had a tractor and a trailer for the beauty queen on. And one year, Ted Moult, a famous man from What's My Line many, many years ago, he came and judged them for the year. He was very pleasant for the day. We supplied, Red Bank supplied three lorries. Well, my wife and my wife, she decorated the lorry. So we had to think of some theme. Well, one year it was Chichester was going round, going round the world with his boat. And we thought, oh, well, when if we can get a hold of a boat? Well. It, Clive Jones, famous chemist shop in Ashby, he'd got a boat at the famous moat house in Appleby on the little moat itself. So he said, go down there and borrow it. So we went round there and we got the boat, put it on the back of the lorry and uh, it was a great success. We didn't get first prize (laughs) because a group of ladies up the back of us, there must have been about 12 of them. They decorated the lorry I don't know what they were, they were something called sluggers or something, and they were all decorated up, and it it was good. And then a few years, when they landed the man on the moon, we uh, we got the lorry on the Friday night, a gentleman called Ken Emerson, who was connected with the coal board, he'd got this great big rocket somewhere, it was about 12 foot long. So he said, did you want to borrow it? So we put it on the lorry, it was stuck on the top of the cab. My wife got her white suit on, crash hat on, my son got a crash hat on. And then we got this rocket on this lorry. And we had a great big sticker on the back of it. A polyby to the moon. <coughs> so that, oh well. <laughs> and we got first prize for that one. The annual thing, it went on for many years. And everybody in the village were involved in it. They really were. The farmers supplied the tractors and the trailers for the Beauty Queen. It was a fantastic day. And they just drove through the village, went up to the end of the village, turned round, drove round, went all the main roads round through the village. Then they went to the big public park we've got here. And then they had games and what have you. And they, it was really good. Oh yes, it was fantastic.
0: Jock Smith there, remembering the annual parades that were held in the village. Now we return to Albert Noble, and he's telling the tale of a hangman who once lived in Appleby Magna.
1: We live in a small cottage in Botts Lane, which was built in 1900. And prior to that on the same site, there was a thatch cottage where Samuel Haywood, the Leicestershire hangman lived. And of course his house was down in 1900 and our house was built by the Saddingtons now the hangman used to walk all the way to Leicester to hang people and all the way back no transport and the daughter wanted some dress material to make a dress and Samuel Haywood said well the money I get for hanging can go towards the dress that you want dress material anyway when he got to Leicester the person he was going to hang had been reprieved, so he came back and the daughter didn't get her dress money.
0: At this point, we were joined by Gordon Charlesworth, whose great-great-great-grandfather was Samuel Haywood, and he continued and, his story. Uh, we found out it was a coachman, and he got caught poaching, which at the time was a hanging offence, but for some reason or other, he went to prison and didn't, they didn't hang him. It's time in prison, they wanted another prisoner flogging. And so Samuel Awood volunteered to flog him. And then when he were released uh, some time after, the governor of the prison or whoever, the man in authority, dis- realised he wanted a hangman. And he thought of Samuel Awood he, because he flogged somebody. He we thought, well, he, he fits the bill a bit. So he was offered the job of hangman. And uh, he was like a pop star of his day. And he, he's had attendance crowds of 50,000-odd sometimes to watch, in, watch these hangings. ins Ooh, tales from the hangman's noose there. And sadly, that concludes our podcast for today. Please look out for further episodes celebrating the oral history of Appleby Magna.